All right, Carrie, would you pray for our time in the Word? Heavenly Father, God, I thank you, Father, for your great love, perfect love that casts out all fear, Father. Yes. Thank you, God, for the fellowship of the saints. Thank you, God, that you have called your church together, God. I pray, Father, that we would stand for righteousness, even in tumultuous days. And Jesus, we await your return. Focus and fix upon you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for that truth. You are the God of miracles, Lord. You are the risen Savior, the Holy One. You are the Messiah, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Father, there is no one like you. And oh, how I pray today, God, that we would fix our eyes upon you, Father, that we would forget looking to the right or to the left or even looking behind. Father, that we would set our gaze ahead, knowing, Lord Jesus, that you are returning and we are to be about our Father's business. If we are children of God, if we have been born again of the Spirit, Father, that you have been pleased to reveal yourself to us through your Son, Jesus, that we might be set free from the power of sin and death. That we would live the resurrected life, the new life. Your word says that all things have been made new. So help us, Father, not to cling to the past, but to cling to Christ, our Savior. And we thank you for that. And today, Father, as we gather, we also know it's the day that's set aside to honor mothers. And so, Father, we thank you for our mothers, Lord. And we thank you, God, um, for their love and their care and their support, Father. Father, we thank you, Lord God. And we ask, God, that you would bless them, that you would encourage them, Father, that you would strengthen them for the task that is at hand. And so, Father, may your hand be upon them, Lord Jesus, and may you continually to bless them indeed, we pray and ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Community. Two definitions I've been setting before us throughout this year. The first one, a group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common. Second, a feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. And I've been encouraging us, and it's my prayer throughout this year to continue to encourage us in community. It's lacking Today, especially in the Christian community, I keep encouraging us that the other communities out there in the earth, oh, they they gather together. They know their purpose. It seems, though, that within the Christian community, we just know the ins and the outs. We go to church. We we do this and, and we do that. But that's really not community. You see, Christ, as I've been encouraging us, is the center of the Christian community. Apart from Him, we have no community. The Christian community is based solely on Christ. That's our common interest. It's His characteristics that we're striving as as we're getting to know Him, to grow, and to mature in. The Bible says that we are to to live this new life in Christ as if Jesus is living in and through us. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who's living. We are to reckon ourselves dead, but alive in Christ. And I keep encouraging us, it's it's the Christian community that only has the truth. And so that's why we are encouraged to go forth and to share the truth with these other communities. Again, it's not about going out there, beating them over the head, or fighting with them, but it is about sharing the good news. 
Because we once were lost, but now we've been found in Christ. You see, God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever would believe in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. All of these other communities are at war with the throne of God. They don't believe in God. They may have a form of religion, but they they deny His power to transform them because they want to cling to what their interests are. They don't want to die to themselves. (laughs) They want to live for their desires. Remember, all of us are all of us are born into sin. All of us are born into this, this, this nature that is at rebellion with God. I keep encouraging you. You're not going to wake up one day and be like, oh, today's the day I'll think I'll 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 follow Jesus, or I'll think I'll I'll want to learn more about Jesus. In and of yourself, you would never say that. Because the very depths of your being is at war with him. That's the nature you're born into. You're born into this nature that is at war with God. If you ever have that inclination, if you ever have that desire to, to seek Jesus or, or to get to know him, or, or what, who is Jesus, it has nothing to do with you but it has everything to do with God. That is His love. That is His grace. That is His mercy. That is the Holy Spirit drawing you to truth. That's how you know God is working. God is active. God is alive. (laughs) And it's His desire that none shall perish. It is not His desire that we remain in rebellion towards Him. It is His desire that we come and we are at made peace with Him through Christ. Remember, I keep telling you, Romans 5.1, Now therefore you are at peace with God through Jesus Christ your Lord. You're not at peace with God because of your religious works. You're not at peace with God because you do this and you do that and you do this and you do that. And you're striving in and of your own self to be good. <laughs> You'll never obtain peace. Because you're doing it in your own strength. You see, God understands our condition. He knows the condition that we're in. When Adam and Eve sinned, it did not surprise him. The cross was not a second thought. No, the cross was always purpose. Even before God spoke the earth into an existence, even before he formed man and woman, he already purposed the cross. The Bible tell, clearly tells us that. It's God's redemptive story that is at work. It is what God has purposed to reveal love, to reveal Himself, because the Bible says God is love. So, so it's God's plan and purpose all along to reveal Himself. And yet, what does our nature do? What does the world system do? What does the enemy do? They whisper. And they give us a wrong picture of who God is. You see, I remember before I became a Christian how much I hated Jesus, how much I hated the church, how much I lived against him with the very depths of everything that I was. I hated him. I hated Christians. 
I went to some of the darkest places, gave in to the most darkest desires. And I was told since I was a little boy how much God hated me. So if God hated me, why well, hate you? I saw no need for Jesus. I saw no need for his church. I was going to live how I wanted to live and be who I wanted to be. I didn't need him. I wasn't pursuing. I wasn't looking. We all have a different testimony. We all have our different ways that God has brought us to him. I can only share mine. It wasn't until I found myself on a couch with pills in my hand, ready to end my life, that I heard behind my shoulder, today you'll live. And as much as I hated Jesus, as much as I hated the church, it was in that moment that those pills dropped from my hand, my hands went over my head, and it was the first time in 20 some odd years that the name of Jesus came out of my mouth. I said, oh, Jesus, you're real. Because it was the first time in 20-something years that his presence overwhelmed me. And I didn't feel hated. No, I felt his compassion and his love for me. But telling me, today you will live. And in an instant, I remembered as a little boy sitting with my grandfather on his front porch swing. And he would read the Bible to him whenever we visited him. And he would always tell me, Robbie, Jesus is calling you to preach his word. I hadn't thought about him in years. But all of a sudden, these memories are flooding me. And all of a sudden, I was like, oh God, what do I do now? Because I know who I am. I know what my likes are. I know what I'm doing And everything in the very essence of who I am and everything about me is against you. So now how then shall I live? And see, God is gracious and God is kind. When he reveals himself to you, he doesn't expect you in that moment to be perfect. But what he does within you is he births something within you. And it's this this hunger, it's this desire to know him. And far too long, we keep ourselves from him because we feel like we don't measure up because I'm still dealing with this or I still have that or this or that. But the the great thing about God is he calls us right where we're at. And the Bible says he loves us, yet though we're in complete rebellion towards him. And his desire is that we would come to him and and ultimately we would repent. God, I'm sorry. I recognize this nature that has been at war with you. And it doesn't matter what your past has been. If you have breath in your body and if you're not saved, you're in rebellion towards God. It doesn't matter how good you're trying to be. There's a lot of good people in the world who who has never gone to the depths of darkness that I have done, but they're on their way to hell because they're still in rebellion towards God because they think they're good. (laughs) And just that thought, proves that they're in rebellion to God because they think they're good, not God. And so the reality is you come to this understanding because God is pleased to reveal himself to you because of his love for you. And when you come to this understanding, you come to repentance 
The Bible says Jesus is you're born again now. And you're born again of the Spirit. You receive the Holy Spirit. God now in you. He's your comforter. He's your teacher. He's your guide. And He begins to, to draw you into maturing. He begins this work in you. And that's why the Word of God encourages us that He that begins this work in you is faithful to complete it. Now, I don't care what you've done, where you've been. If you are a Christian, that is the promise that you can hold on to. Throughout the years that I've walked with Christ, I've had my mountaintops, I've had my valleys, I've had my challenges, I've been uh, pressed up against, I've been persecuted, I've been, you know, as the Bible says, all of that's going to happen to you. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And we're reminded, John 10, 10, it's the enemy that comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life in abundance. And so I want to encourage Christians throughout this year, listen, stop settling for the, for the scraps on the ground. Take your place at the table. Grow in your identity and who Christ is. Know the freedom in which he has purpose and and, 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 and delivered you unto this freedom that no one can take away from you. It doesn't matter what they say about you. It doesn't matter how they bring up your past. It doesn't matter anything because the Bible says he who the Son sets free is free indeed. And you ought to get up every day knowing your identity, growing in your identity. But you have to realize you are at war. The enemy, the world systems, and that flesh, that old nature, they want you still shackled to your rebellion. But you can't go there. You can't go there. Remember, how does he transform you? By changing the way you think. The battlefield is the mind. And so he transforms us as we get to know him. And so this community that the Bible gives us a picture of, that Christ calls his people to, because we're called out. We're called out. We're called out from living in the flesh, we're called out of following the world systems, and we're, call, and we're called out from being children of Satan and to being adopted children to God. And the Bible says that we are now given the right to call him Abba, to call him Daddy. And so again, our war is not with the other communities because if not for God, that's where we would be. Lost somewhere else out there. That's why it has to be a renewal within the Christian community to honor Christ in community. Because he's the one that births the church. He is the head. We're the body. And we, he's given us not only himself, not only the Holy Spirit, but each other. To encourage, to edify, and to build each other up. That's how we're to be living this, this is who we are. This is what we long for because this is how we're going to be living for eternity. <laughs> I mean, that's the great news. And so we have something valuable. We have a beautiful treasure given to us that we are not just to keep for ourselves, but no, we want others to have. We want to, we want to give it away. We, we want to tell others about Jesus. 
We want to share this freedom that we have found in Jesus. And like I've always encouraged you, before you start going and telling others, tell yourself. And it should be an everyday conversation that you're having. So I'm going to look at some scriptures this morning. I want to send, um, give you these scriptures in hopes to encourage you to persevere. To persevere. To really get on your face, ask God, God, what does it look like to live in community? I think for far too long, the, the, the enemy has blinded um, people from the truth of what community is. Just because you show up to church doesn't mean that you're in community. Community comes with accountability. Community comes with living lives, your good, the bad, the ugly days with others. So that you again are being encouraged to continue to press on and to move on and grow in Christ. Not just to to, to have a pat on your back and coddle you and keep you shackled and, and, and guilt and shame and sin. No, no, no. No, we're called to encourage, to edify, and to build each other up. So that we are living expressions of what Christ has done on the cross. And in the power of his resurrection. I keep telling you, there's too many people sitting in church and their Christ is still on the cross. Their Christ is still in the tomb. Or their Christ is still in the manger. But that's not where Christ is at. He had to go to the manger. He had to endure the cross. He had to be laid in a tomb. But the Christian Christ, the Christ of the Christian faith is the resurrected Christ. The Bible says that if our message was just the cross, we're fools. We're fools. But our message is the resurrected Christ. And when you talk about the resurrected Christ, oh, for God's sakes, you better know that you know that you know what that means. He has defeated sin. He has defeated death. He is victorious. He has accomplished all that God has purposed. And remember, what is God's plan? To have a people that he will call his own, and in return, they will call him their God. From beginning to the end. If you want to go, search it for yourself. Start in Genesis. Start in, through Revelation. You're going to see the same theme being revealed to you. God ultimately will have a people that he will call his own, and in return, they will call him their God. And it just won't be lip service. It'll be heartfelt. It'll be a genuine faith in God, all because of Christ. Go to Galatians chapter 6. Here we go. I'm going to feed you a lot of word this morning. Galatians chapter 6. Verse 2 and 3. Again, scriptures to encourage community. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 to 3. Share each other's burdens. 
you hear that? Share each other's burdens. And in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourselves. You are not that important. Share each other's burdens. Live together. We, we, we hear over and over the theme, in harmony. You know, listen, don't think that everyone that is sitting in church or sitting in community is really a part of the community. The Bible, from the birth of the church in Acts, we're told, there's wolves among you. <laughs> there are people who are still living for themselves. That's why we're not shocked when we, though people get shocked and it rattles them and shakes them to the core, but please don't let other people's failure within the community shake you to the core. <clears throat> just know it will happen from leaders <laughs> to just the lay people in the community. Because if their heart is not truly with Christ, then what do they know? Their past, <laughs> which is really their present. And ultimately will be their future rebellion. And so we're not shocked by it. But we have to be aware of it. That's why the Bible tells us there's going to be false teachers. There's going to be such a great falling away. I mean, the Bible is very specific. And yet, even though he tells us he's very clear what's going to happen, but he encourages us. But remember, this is how you're to live. This is how you're to live. This is how you're to serve. First him and then others. You see, your service is not prompted to see what you can gain from God or from others. And if that's the attitude, then you have the wrong heart attitude. No, you just freely do. Because that's what Christ did. Christ just freely came and served. He knew who he was. He didn't have to fight with people. He knew who was against him. He knew those religious leaders. He exposed their hearts. But he still was about his father's business. And so it should be with us. Yes, people are going to step on your toes. Yes, people are going to do this and that. Yes, you're going to find stuff that's just not as it should be within community. But that doesn't mean you just throw, you walk away from it. No, that means you even you press in even more to really uphold the standards of community. And I've encouraged you over the years, that's the problem within the church, is that we haven't upheld the standard. We've just given in to those who are running amok. Because they have the louder voice, or the bigger attitudes. And they're running the church, and that ought not to be. The Bible is very clear, even Jesus himself tells us, how to deal with those who are still actively participating in sin. Because again, sin is not our master. Again, it doesn't mean that you're not going to have your bad days. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have your, your, your issues, that you, that you need community around you, and ultimately the Holy Spirit and Christ drawing you to truth so that you can be set free from it. So there is a level of freedom but we ought not to think we're better than others. Remember, I keep encouraging you all, when you show up in community, when you're out and about in community, 
you are to think that others are better than yourself. You're not looking to gain for yourself. You're not looking to gain for yourself. And a lot of our frustrations that we have is because that's what we're doing. Well, they're not doing for me. They couldn't even look at me today. Oh, you know, and we, we start seeing all this weird stuff in our head. And we allow the flesh just to work up. But we better remind ourselves, oh no, you're not going to take me down this road of being insulted. You're not going to take me down this road where I'm going to grow bitter or, or remain in offense. If someone has wronged you, then go to that person. Let them know. But don't harbor unforgiveness. And if it continues, then get another brother or sister and go to that person. I mean, there's a way in which we're called to live. And it's about time that we as Christians begin to understand that we are called to live in a way that is preparing for His return. I mean, there's an all-out war against God and His church. And it's only going to continue to get worse. That's why we can't cave in. No, we've got to stand up. We've got to stand up. And we've got to share the truth. But even before we share it, we've got to allow the truth in which we will share be our truth that is transforming us. So we are remaining humbled in community. We're not thinking we're better than others. We will, we're going to serve, and we're going to serve gladly. Go to James chapter 5. James 5. Poor Bible's falling apart. James chapter 5. Verse 16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. You see, that's what I keep telling you. You ought to be, you ought to be living a transparent life. You, why on earth are Christians sitting in churches with hidden sin? Because we cultivate a community where we expect you to be Jesus. <laughs> instead of expecting you to allow Jesus to live in and through you. Listen, we're, no one is claiming that you all need to be perfect. We're, we're not preaching Christianity perfectionism. No, but you are to be maturing. You ought to be maturing. And so I'm not going to let sin lurk within me and not expose it. The Bible says you're to expose the fruitless deeds of the darkness. The many people, the many Christians that I counsel, and I've shared this with you all before, mainly from other churches throughout the community. And the first thing I always ask someone, the first question when they're calling me from another church, is I ask them, have you talked to your pastor? Have you talked to anyone in your church? And the majority of them break down. And they say, I can't. If they find out what I'm going through and what I'm dealing with, and that breaks my heart. I can't, I can't even just stand here and just sweep over that. Because I'm like, then where are you, what are you belonging to? That you can't go to your shepherd 
that you can't go to others within your community and be honest and be transparent and confess your sins to one another so that you would be healed. Do you see how the enemy works? Do you see how the flesh works? It wants, they want to keep us in bondage. But child of God, you are not to remain a slave to bondage. You are free. Amen. And so live. Begin to understand what it means to live as a free person in Christ. You see, we're transparent first before God and then before man. And if I'm transparent before my Father and He loves me and He accepts me, I don't care if you don't. I will still be transparent before you, but you can gossip about me all you want. You can say whatever you want behind my back. You can act this way or that way. It's not going to move me. And if it does move me, then I'm in error because I'm looking for your approval. But I already have the approval of my God. And so I can walk upright, not prideful, not proudful, but with the assurance that God loves me. God loves me. And so it's vital, you all, that you understand community and what it means to confess your sins to one another, to live and, and, and be transparent with one another and stop putting on a show like you got it all together when you know reality you don't. You don't. And so I just want to encourage you in that. Go to Proverbs 27. Proverbs 27. Proverbs 27, verse 17. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Oh, how you need friends. Oh, how you need community. And listen, not friends that are lost out there in that world, because they're not going to point you to, to Jesus. They're not going to really uphold the standard of Jesus. Uh, they're going to hold up the standard of rebellion, even though it doesn't look like rebellion. Do you understand? That's the trickery of the enemy. That is the trickery and the deception of the flesh and the world systems. You're really not that bad. Don't become too holy and too religious. Don't go to the extreme. All those lies that we hear that keep us in bondage and all the while in rebellion to a holy God. You see, iron sharpens iron. So a friend sharpens a friend. You need someone who's going to go toe-to-toe with you if need be. Here's the standard of righteousness. You choose. You choose. I'll still love you either way. But no, I'm not just going to coddle you and just go along with your bad attitude. No, I'm not just going to go along with your gossiping, backbiting, and carrying on like a fool. Because we're talking about the blood of Christ. We're saying we're Christians. We're saying that we've been redeemed by the resurrected Christ. So there's a way in which we're called to live, but not in a way that's striving out of ourself, but but through Christ. And that's why I always told you when I counsel people and they get so adamant, don't tell me to pray. Don't tell me to read another scripture. Don't tell me to this or to that. And I'm like, well, what do you want me to tell you? Go get drunk? Go lay with the next person? Act ugly? I can't counsel you the ways of the world. 
You can go the ways of the world and that'll be your choice. But if you're asking for counsel, and the same as it would be for me, if I came to you and I'm like, this, 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 you should just be like, oh, well, okay, just, you know, you should be able to look at me and say, no, remember Christ. (laughs) Remember the truths of God's word. This is how we're to be living. This is how we're to be acting. Well, you don't know what type of day I have. I don't need to know the type of day. I can tell you the type of Christ you have, at least what you you profess you have. And he's greater than your bad days. He's greater than this and greater than that. All the things that we say define us. Because remember, as you think, Proverbs says, so you go. So you can lay out your case for your lust, for your bad attitudes, for all your addictions. You can lay out your case. But the bottom line is, it's rebellion towards God. What you ought to be doing is reminding yourself day in and day out. And you should be having Christian community friends in your life that you're sharing with. You're encouraging each other. You're edifying each other. You're building each other up. Oh, and be mindful of those friends who say they're Christians. But that's not what they're doing. It's not what they're doing. Remember, we, were, we, we read the scripture last week. When the Bible says, have nothing to do with those who call themselves Christians, but deny the power of God transforming them. See, we're not called to stay away from the world. But we're called to stay away from those who want to use deception, who want to pretend that they're in when really they're out. Because we're doing no good for them just to go along with them. We're doing no good just to go along with them. We're actually a stumbling block for them. So I just want to encourage you. I know it's not easy. Especially in this day and age. But I keep telling you, as deception is rising up upon the earth at a greater level. I mean, you can't make some of this stuff up anymore. Some of the stuff that I see that's happening, I'm like, good God, at any moment, Lord, you're you're coming. Like, at any moment. Like, it is absolutely, like, is this for real? Like, I don't know if you've been watching what's going on. But just throughout the earth, not just in little pockets of places, throughout the earth. The level of deception that is upon the earth. The level of all the junk, the occult, perversion, murder, strife, backbiting. It's a loveless, loveless earth. But we are told that it's going to get that way. That's why it's vital for the church community to be the love in the earth. Well, he still has us here. Because we're to be about our Father's business. And God is love. And so we're to go forth. Like there's things that I see and, I, and at first it's like, oh God. But then I'm broken. I'm like, oh, but no. So I begin to pray for these people. I'm like, God, because I would probably be right there with them. If not for you. Like some of the stuff that I'm seeing, I'm just like, oh my goodness. The depravity of the mind and of the heart. Like, darkness is not even hiding anymore, you all. It is running amok. And that's why I keep telling you, 
let it get darker. That shouldn't scare us. Let it get darker. That shouldn't intimidate us because you ought to be getting brighter. You ought to be getting brighter. And you you ought to be able to go throughout your day with your head up, walking upright amongst a wicked and a perverse generation. Because that's how it's been since the fall. God has always had a people in every culture, in every generation that's bearing his image. That's what he calls us to. Because it's a war. But the reality is, is that he's already won. So we don't have to be these weak-willed people. No, have a backbone. Stand up. Walk upright. Live for God. Love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, with all of your strength. Go to Matthew 18, verse 20. Matthew 18, verse 20. Matthew 18, verse 20. For where two or three gather together as my followers. These are Jesus' words. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. Like Jesus. I mean, just think about that. Like Jesus is here among us. Rather, as the we talked about one Wednesday night. Rather, it has to deal with, because this section is talking about correcting another believer. He's there when that goes on. He's there when we're just together worshiping. Like, he's among us. So think about that. When you got up this morning, and you say, I'm going to gather with community, with the church. Jesus is going to be among us. Did you come excited? Or even if you're downtrodden, even maybe you're just going through a rough season, did you come and just say, you know what, God, I'm just going to be able just to be finally at a place I can just be at peace. I may not sense it. I may not understand all of it, but God, you're there. And I just need your comfort. I need your strength. And you've given me a family that I can be transparent in front of. That's going to love me enough to encourage me, to edify me, to build me up. Because listen, we all face the same thing out there once we're not together. The reality is, is what, you, what are you doing when you're out there? What are you doing when you're alone? What are you doing with your thoughts, your emotions, all of this stuff? You better be dealing with it instead of allowing it to deal you. Because if it's dealing with you, it's running you. And you're going to get exhausted. Trust me, I've been there. That's why I want to encourage you all. Like when you gather, when we gather, like Jesus is here, you all. Like he's among us. The Holy Spirit is is working in each of our hearts right now. And his desire is that we would remain in him. His desire is that we will grow and that we would mature. That we wouldn't strive in and of ourselves, but that we would know that we are free. That's if you're in Christ. If you're not in Christ, then I don't know what you're waiting for. Because it's not about cleaning yourself up. It's not about, well, I have it all together now. Because then again, you've made it about you. (laughs) No, it's just that, God, I need you. It's only Christ. It's only Jesus. 
And I can't wait for my shirt that Carrie got made for me. On Wednesday night, we were talking about that the other night. I said, oh, Carrie, she get me a shirt that says, only Jesus, and on the back, the way, the truth, the life. And so, because that's all it is. It's, that's all we have to share with people. It's only Jesus. That's all we have. It's the good news. It's everything in Him. We, we have to stop making it so complicated. He's victorious. No matter what you're facing today, only Jesus can solve it. Only Jesus has the answers. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Only Jesus. You got issues going on in your home? Kick open the door and just declare, only Jesus. You got issues going on in your mind? Then just say, only Jesus. Listen, I was a tormented soul when I gave my life to Jesus. There was a season of time that I spent in a corner. I couldn't even talk. And all I could do is say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. My lover and my friend, they didn't know what to do. What is he doing in the corner? Oh, I shook, Jesus. It's only Jesus. It's only Jesus. He has to be enough for you. And if he isn't, then you haven't met him. So that's what I'm saying. He's pleased to reveal himself to you. Come, come as you are. Broken, busted, and disgusted. But you're not going to remain that way. Because those who are truly touched by Jesus are not the same. You won't find that anywhere. They're not the same. Well, that old nature may want to creep up, but you're quick to say, oh, I know you. And you remind yourself, as the Bible tells us, no, you tell that old man, that old woman, oh, you're nailed to his cross. See, you got to speak. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And it's good to listen to a preacher, but the greater faith is when you can speak it because you're believing it. See, I believe what I'm sharing with you all. If you don't believe it, you're going to get up. You may be moved. Oh, yeah, that's good. That's good. But if it's not your belief, do you know what's going to happen when you step out? Ah, you're going to live the crazy life. But why? No, but there's something when you speak it. Oh, you recognize the ugly self trying to show up and you say, oh, no, no. And as I counsel people, one of my favorite things and and, and tell people to do is to drag yourself in front of a mirror. Find yourself a mirror. (laughs) Even if it's a little pocket one. Look at yourself. Oh, I see you. You're trying. But I'm going to remind you. (laughs) Right, Doreen? (laughs) You're nailed to that cross. I no longer live where Christ lives in me. Only Jesus. You gotta live, you all. You gotta live. The Bible says temptation will come. But don't let temptation drag you back. Because the Bible says he makes the way out of every temptation. Let temptation come, but look for Jesus in it. <laughs> because there's your way out. Flee from sexual sin. Know when to open your mouth and when not to open your mouth. 
Have wisdom, have discernment. There's a way in which we're called to live and to walk in freedom. And that's my encouragement for us in our time of talking about community. If you are in Christ, you are freed. You've been liberated. And that's so important. Because people should see that in your life. And that they should be drawn to that and say, there's something different about you. There's something different about you. What is it? You say, Jesus. He's made all the difference in my life. Remember, to some you're going to be that sweet fragrance of life. To others, you'll be a stench of death. If they walk away, if they say, okay, whatever, you, you're lunatic, you, you're Jesus freak. Oh, well, don't be mad at them. Don't be offended. They're not attacking you. They're at war with God. So pray for them. Like, okay. But you know what you did when you said, Gee, you sowed a seed. You sowed a seed. Leave it be. You're not the harvester. Don't be Holy Spirit Jr. You just sowed the seed. Or maybe you didn't sow the seed, but maybe you watered it. That's what the Bible says. Just get out there, sow and water, and then trust the Holy Spirit. Trust the Holy Spirit. It may not happen in your time, but trust God. It'll happen in His. You see, there's a whole new way of living. And that's why I say, if you, if you haven't came to Christ, come to Christ. Accept Christ. Love Christ. Know Christ. Live for Christ. Listen, there's no other way. He's the only way. I want you to go to Galatians. Before we get to our scriptures, I know we're in a lot of scriptures, but before we actually get to our scriptures of walking through them, let's go to Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. Because as I'm talking on freedom this morning, I want you to hear a little what the Word of God says about freedom. So Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, and then we're going to verse 13 through 15. This whole chapter is about freedom in Christ. It's not to get yoked in religious duty, ultimately, but I want you to hear just a few of these scriptures. Take time this week and, and go back and read the whole chapter. But Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. So Christ has truly set us free. Now, make sure that you stay free. And don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. You see what was really going on in their day and as it is with our day? The enemy... The world system and the flesh, they don't mind you going to church. You're not a threat to them if you just go to church. But you start being the church. You start putting truth in action. You start living like one who's been saved, that's connected, who has been born again, who has been given the right to call him Abba, to call him Daddy. Oh, then there's an issue. But remember, since the birth of the church, we've been warned there's going to be these false teachers who come in and they want to add to what Jesus did because it seems a little bit more holy. So let's go back and let's tie in some of these laws. Let's tie in some of this and some of that and some of this. And poof, not everything is right. Oh, no, 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 no. You're not to add to anything that Jesus did. Has done because he did it all. 
He fulfilled the law. He didn't do away with it. He did all that he needed to do to free us from sin and death. Through his resurrection, through the shedding of his blood, through the whips upon his back, he did it all. And so Paul is reminding this church in Galatia, listen, so Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in the slavery to the law. People were coming into this church telling them they need to be circumcised. They needed to do this. They needed to do that. Ultimately, to, you know, to be right with God. You know, we just want to add a little bit more to it. Oh, you better be careful of that, you all. Better be careful of that. Go to verses 13 through 15. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. Oh, but hear this, church. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. Oh, church, we need to wake up, especially now more than ever in our generation. And we better understand the Holy Scriptures from beginning to end. This is God's Word, the living Word. It transforms us. It, it draws us closer to Him. It matures us because we're getting to know our God. We're living for our God. We're, we're being encouraged. And, and the Holy Spirit is, is revealing the truth to us for it to be applied. Because again, it just can't be listening or just hearers of the Word. You have to be doers. And to do it, you, you have to put into practice what you're hearing. So just because you're free, don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. It's not about you anymore. It's about others. You see, when you come to Christ, I know, I'm a dead man. If you're in Christ, you're a dead woman. You're a dead man. And one thing I learned years ago is dead men and dead women have no rights. The issues come when we start demanding Oh, the child of God, it's not your life any longer to demand. Your life now is hidden in Christ. He is our example. How then now shall we live? Go to Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 through 26. Living by the Spirit's power. So I say... Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Oh, can we hear that? And then I love that the fact that he just didn't stop there. No, he exposes what the sinful nature is and the fruit that comes from it. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Oh, don't miss that. Come to Christ. Oh, 
That war is raging within you. The spirit and the flesh, they're at conflict with each other. But don't use that excuse to keep sinning or to keep acting ugly. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. And you can live a life that honors Christ because of the spirit of God within you. The Bible says that if you walk habitually in the spirit, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. And so if you find yourself that the flesh is winning more, it just means that you're giving more ground to the flesh by the way you're thinking. Remember again, the Bible says, how does he transform us? By changing the way we think. So think upon these things. I bet if you sit down, you look at your week, you look at your day, and you've seen your failures, you've seen your flesh act ugly, I bet you can sit down and you can write out and you will be able to see how you open the door. And the Bible is very clear. We're not to open the door and give foot to a foothold to the enemy. Because if you give him a foothold, he's going to develop a stronghold. And a stronghold is a pattern of thinking that you are in agreement with that is an opposite of God's truth. But don't get upset because of the, a stronghold has been developed. Remember, only Jesus, the Bible says that he gives us the weapons of our warfare to demolish those strongholds. Listen, there is freedom in Christ and there's a way in which you're called to live free. And so we see here that there is this war, there's this constant war, and you think just showing up for church for an hour or two a week is going to get you through? Oh no, it has to be every day. And in fact, it has to be more when you're on your own. What are you doing? When you're by yourself. When it's just me, myself, and I. Oh, you ought to be living for Jesus. <laughs> you ought to be living for Jesus. <laughs> because if I'm not living for Jesus, oh, I could tell you where I would be. <laughs> I would tell you what my flesh would be running about doing. But why would I want my flesh to have that? Oh, no. See, you get to a place where you say to yourself, Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. And you can war against me and you can war within me all you want. But God in me gives me the victory. Because I have the Holy Spirit of God. And he strengthens me. He's my comforter. He's my teacher. He's my guide. Oh, we better hear. It says, but when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under the obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Lest you're unsure, hear what the results are. <laughs> the results are very clear. Sexual morality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of ang anger, selfish amb ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, and oh please, listen, he's talking to the church. He's not talking to the world. This letter is written to the church. <laughs> and so he says, so let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Lest you keep hearing preachers that give you the right to live how you want. 
I've always warned you. I've always cautioned you. If you hear the gospel being preached and it's giving you the right to self, oh, that's not the gospel. No matter how popular it is, no matter how thousands of people are packing auditoriums for it, it's demonic. It's demonic. It's leading people away from God, not to God. The gospel never gives you the right to self. Jesus' command. You want to be my disciple? Deny yourself. Pick up your cross. Follow me. Remember I talked last week. Remember thousands of them were following him. The Bible calls them his disciples. But when he began to really expose who he was and the spiritual understanding they were like, ah, that's too hard for us to understand. And they turned and they left. Except the twelve. But he asked them, are you going too? Where can we go? You have the words to eternal life. Oh, you better know that you know that you know who he is. And so understand, you can't just keep running amok and just claiming Jesus. I told you, you living that type of life is trampling his blood underneath your feet. You've made it so common as if it's nothing. And you're splashing it up on everyone. And they see no difference, so they just go along with you. And we're all just Christians. And we're all just marching into heaven. Well, the devil is a liar. Because not everyone is getting into heaven. And God knows that already. Jesus stood, stood there and he watched them leave. I told you, the Bible there didn't say Jesus wept. No, no, he turned, he watched all of them turn from him and walk away. He already knows his creation is in rebellion towards him. But yet he loves us so much that he sent his one and only son. I mean, just open up the book of Revelation. Everything's Chaotic, carrying on. The, everything, the wrath of God, it's all over the place. But even in the midst of his wrath, he's still revealing himself. And the Bible says that there, the people on the earth will still raise their fists and say, you're not God. That's the condition of human beings that are not in Christ. They hate God. They live for themselves. <laughs> they only want what they want. They want their desires. They demand their right. And they can live however they want. We all have the choice. But like I've always shared to you, they're basically demanding their right to experience the wrath of God. And I keep saying, why would you treat his love for his wrath? What is so important in your life that you want to remain under his wrath and not under his love? I mean, it's very clear. It's very evident of what the sinful nature produces. So if you see that in your life, don't hide hidden sin. Trust me, most people who are hiding hidden sin, others know what's going on. They should love you enough to come to you. 
you can only do so much hiding. But if also you see these at work within you, don't just allow them to remain and then play that weird game that we fall into. I'm just not a good Christian. I just can't be good like everyone else. Uh, it's just so hard. And, you know, maybe it doesn't need to be that extreme. And, and we start making these weird excuses. No, don't do that. Repent. Repent. Be reconciled. Get up. Don't play the shame-blame game. Don't stay under condemnation and guilt and shame. Oh, you ought to feel it. (laughs) Because true repentance, true repentance, like we learned last year, is a sincere remorse and regret. It's like, oh, God. (laughs) Oh, you hate it. ah, God, I'm sorry. (laughs) If your repentance is, sorry. Sorry, God. Sorry, God. I don't know. That's not repentance. That's a worldly repentance. But it's that true repentance. Oh, God, that's rebellion. Like, oh, God, what am I doing in this? God, I'm sorry. And in an instant, he doesn't doesn't berate you or beat you down. He, He doesn't. Like, he runs to you. He embraces you. He restores you. You're his child. And you feel the conviction that, no, that's not where you belong. There's many times, oh, I feel like, oh, God, oh, God, you're right. I don't belong there. We go on. Verse 22. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those, oh God, let's hear this. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed their passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. This is the good news, you all, that we have. This is what's being produced within us. He is faithful to complete it. Don't exhaust yourself in trying to do it in your own strength. He is faithful. This is the freedom in which we have. And finally, Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 through 9. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everything, I'm sorry, everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest, a blessing, if we don't give up. It's the great news, you all. So what you're sowing to, you're going to reap. So sow less to the flesh and begin to be discipled. See, that's what's missing in the church today. It's true discipleship. 
You know, Jesus says, go. You know, share the gospel. Baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But don't stop there. No, no. Teach them to obey all of my commands. You have to be discipled so that you can learn how to walk. You can learn what it means to walk in the Spirit, to live in the Spirit, to know your identity. That's why community is vital. So that you're growing and that you're maturing. Psalm 50. It's a psalm I refer to a lot. It's not a, a lot of people don't like it. <laughs> oh, but it's a psalm you better get used to. <laughs> And and I would challenge you once a month, go read it, just meditate upon it. You see, we like God to be this easygoing God. Oh, please don't make him a wrathful God. Make him a God that is gentle and kind and loving and, and is just there to appease me, to make me feel better. But listen, y'all, that's not God. God is love. But just as much as he is a God of love, he is a God of wrath. And his wrath is being stored up. Oh, there's coming a day, you all, when it will be unleashed. And God help those who are not in Christ. God help those who are not in Christ. Notice I I didn't say God help those who are not in church. (laughs) Because there's a lot of people in churches that are going to be swallowed up in his wrath. You see, we see that. Even when he pulled Israel out, he separated them. Be holy, you're my people. We see that within them. They kept going back, running amok. We see it even in the, in the church. True Christians aren't running amok, but within the church you've got the religious, you've got the wolves among us, running amok. But those who are saved, those who have been born again, oh no, they are swallowed up in his love. But play God, you all. Keep playing him. Keep just speaking but not living what you're speaking out. And hear the word of the Lord. Psalm 50. The Lord, the Mighty One, is God, and He has spoken. He has summoned all humanity from where the sun rises to where it sets. From Mount Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines in glorious radiance. Our God approaches, and He is not silent. Fire devours everything in His way. And a great storm rages around him. He calls on the heaven above and the earth below to witness the judgment of his people. Bring my faithful people to me, those who made a covenant with me by giving sacrifices. Then let the heavens proclaim his justice, for God himself will be the judge. O my people, listen as I speak. Here are my charges against you, O Israel. I am God, your God. I have not complaint. I have no complaint about your sacrifices or the burnt offerings you can constantly offer, but I do not need the bulls from your barns or the goats from your pens, for all the animals of the forest are mine, and I own the cattle of a thousand hills. 
I know every bird on the mountains, and all the animals of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for all the world is mine, and everything in it. Do I eat the meat of bulls? Do I drink the blood of goats? Make thankfulness your sacrifice to God, and keep the vows you made to the Most High. Then call on me when you are in trouble, and I will rescue you, and will and you will give me glory. Yes, do your sacrifices, do this, do that. But ultimately, if your heart's not in it, that means nothing. Nothing. Live your life as unto the Lord, but if your heart, if you're not thankful, if your heart really isn't transformed, then really what do you have? Then he goes on. But God says to the wicked, why bother? Listen, he's talking to his people. Why bother reciting my decrees and pretending to obey my covenants? For you refuse my discipline and treat my words like trash. Oh, this is God speaking. When you see thieves, you approve of them. And you spend your time with adulterers. Your mouth is full, and your mouth is filled with wickedness. And your tongue is full of lies. You sit around and slander your brother and your own mother's son. And oh, let's hone in on verse 21. And while you did all of this, I remained silent. And you thought I didn't care. This is God speaking to his people, then and now. You do your religious works. <laughs> you show up. <laughs> you give, you do, you do, you do. But look at your lives. Why are you reciting? Why are you refusing? Why are you treating my words like trash? Look how you're spending your time and your lives. And you think I approve of all this because I'm silent. You keep going on and living and doing as you want because, poof, I'm not zapping you. <laughs> You're just going. While you did all of this, I remained silent and you thought I didn't care. But now I will rebuke you, listing all my charges against you. Repent And don't miss out on that word. Because God has every right now to pour out his wrath. But again, because he's a loving God, he always brings us to repentance. He doesn't force us to repent. You repent. God doesn't repent. But he brings you. He's loving enough to say, listen, do you see your errors in your way? Do you, do you see how you're in rebellion towards me? Do you see how you're fighting me? Don't fight me. I am your God. You're my people. I love you with an everlasting love. I've made a way for you through my son Jesus. Be reconciled unto me through Christ. Come, come. Be my beloved. Repent. Turn from that. Repent of all you who forget, all of you who forget me. 
That's what he says. But don't miss out on these next words. Or. Or. This is God. Or. I will tear you apart. And no one will help you. But giving thanks is a sacrifice that truly honors me. If you keep to my path, I will reveal to you the salvation of God. You see, we have freedom in Christ, you all. We ought not just to be flippant about it. We ought not to be flippant about community, about fellowship with Christ and fellowship with others. And truly experience the freedom that Christ has for us so that we can go forth out in this generation and be the light. As it's getting darker, we're growing brighter. And it has nothing to do with us but all of Him because all we have is Jesus. And that's what they need. Jesus. So I can't encourage you enough. And I know it's a lot. But I just got a short time on Sunday with you all. In hopes to encourage you that you would go forth from this place. Study the word. Get connected with one another. Share the word. Build each other up. Come on Wednesdays if you're available. Or join by Zoom. So that you can have a deeper discussion of what we're discussing. Come join on Fridays. We try to open up the house as much as we can to give everyone an opportunity to connect. I can't force people to come. And trust me, there's many days I'd rather not do it. I'm exhausted. But then I remembered, not of me. God, it's of you. My life is not my own. Your life is not your own. We're living for Christ. We're living for Christ. There's a dying world out there who needs to see the people of God live for God. See, we're not shaken. We know whom we belong to. He's God. First Kings. He said, what? There's more? Oh, not much more. Well, actually, before we go to First Kings, let me remind you that I'm sharing with you from the Heidelberg Catechism. Again, it's just a tool to, to use in hopes to, to encourage you to grow in your faith. Because you ought to be able to defend the faith. Not be offended by it. I, I, a, it fascinates me. There's a lot of Christians who are offended by faith, by, by truth of God's word. You don't have to be offended. That's the world. The world is offended. Christians, you don't have to be offended by the word of God. No, you ought to be able to defend it. And that's what this tool does. So we're still in part two, deliverance, understanding God, the Son. Lord's Day 13. Two questions. They'll be in the notes. Carrie sends them out later. But there's two questions this week to ponder. And then the answers are given with the scriptures for that answer. Because they're just not answers just to give you an answer. No, these are scriptures. So, 33, 33rd question of this catechism. Why is he called God's only begotten son when we also are God's children? Well, the answer, because Christ alone is the eternal, natural son of God. We, however, are adopted children of God, adopted by grace through Christ. And the next question, why do you call him our Lord? The answer, because not with gold and silver, but with his precious blood. He has set us free from sin and from the tyranny of the devil and has bought us 
body and soul to be his very own. Oh, that we would know the truth, you all. Go to 1 Kings chapter 8. 1 Kings chapter 8. King Solomon. We've been talking about him. We're making our way through the Old Testament. King Solomon is now on the throne. He's a man, he's a king of wisdom. God gave him, God asked him, and and Solomon said, I'd like wisdom to lead your people. And God gave him, I mean, he was incredible. There's been no one else like him upon the earth. He was full of wisdom. And yet, the Bible says, and and I I keep wanting to bring this up, you survive, you sound like a broken record, but that's okay. (laughs) Because that's how you learn repetition. And so the Bible says that King Solomon loved God. And we all go, oh, oh, but not too quick. (laughs) Because that same love, that same word love being described there is the same word we're going to read soon in another chapter where it says King Solomon loved his wives. (laughs) It's not a covenantal love. It's not a loyal love. (laughs) It's just love. Love you today, I love her tomorrow, I love him today, I love him tomorrow. I just love, I love this, I love that. There's no depth to it. And yet God still uses him to bring about God's purpose, you all. You see, everything that God has spoken from the beginning, oh, he's fulfilling. That's, see, when you know you're God, and that's why I keep telling you all, Please learn who he is. Don't let the enemy, don't let the world system, don't let your flesh teach you theology. Because you're going to get him wrong. Let God reveal himself to you. And love him. The greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with your whole being, you all. Not when you feel like it. In the good days and in the bad days. From the height of the mountain to the depths of the valley. Love God. Love God. Solomon has built the palace. Or his palace. He, palaces. He, he built the temple. He fulfilled what God had called him to do with the temple. And now we're going to see that Solomon is going to stand up in this chapter. And he's going to... Praise the Lord. Um, Let's just look at this here. Chapter 8, Solomon then summoned to Jerusalem the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the leaders of the ancestral families of the Israelites. They were to bring the ark of the Lord's covenant to the temple from the location, the city of David, in the city of David, also known as Zion. So all the men of Israel assembled before King Solomon at the annual festival of shelters, which is held in early autumn in the month of Ethiopia. When all the elders of Israel arrived, the priests picked up the ark. The priests, the Levites, brought up the ark of the Lord along with the special tent and all the sacred items that had been in it. There before the ark, King Solomon and the entire community of Israel sacrificed so many sheep and goats, goats and cattle that no one could keep, keep count. Then the priests carried the Ark of the Lord's Covenant into the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place, and placed it beneath the wings of the cherubim. The cherubim spread their wings uh, over the Ark, forming a canopy over the Ark and its carrying poles. 
These poles were so long that their ends could be seen from the holy place, which is in front of, I'm sorry, which is in front of the most holy place, but not from the outside. They are still there to this day. Nothing was in the ark except the two stone tablets that Moses had placed in it at Mount Sinai, where the Lord made a covenant with the people of Israel when they left the land of Egypt. When the priests came out of the holy place, a thick cloud filled the temple of the Lord. The priests could not continue their service because of the cloud, for the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple of the Lord. You see, God is fulfilling everything that He promised to the forefathers. Oh, don't miss out on this. This is a beautiful scene. And then Solomon prayed. Oh Lord, listen to this prayer, you all. Oh Lord, you have said that you would live a you would live in a thick cloud of darkness. Now I have built a glorious temple for you, a place where you can live forever. Then the king turned around to the entire community of Israel, standing before him, and gave this blessing. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who has kept the promise he made to my father David. For he told my father, from the day I brought my people Israel out of Egypt, I have never chosen a city among any of the tribes of Israel as a place where a temple should be built to honor my name. But I have chosen David to be king over my people Israel. Then Solomon said, my my father David wanted to build this temple to honor the name of the Lord, the God of Israel, But the temple, I'm sorry, but the Lord told him, you wanted to build the temple to honor my name. Your intention is good, but you are not the one to do it. One of your own sons would build the temple to honor me. And now the Lord has fulfilled the promises he made. For I have become king in my father's place. And now I sit on the throne of Israel, just as the Lord promised. I have built this temple to honor the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. And I have prepared a place there for the ark, which contains the covenant that the Lord made with our ancestors when he brought them out of Egypt. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord. Oh, don't miss out on this, you all. In front of the entire community of Israel, he lifted his hands toward heaven and he prayed. Oh, Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in all the heaven above and all the earth below. You keep your covenant and show unfailing love to all who walk before you in wholehearted devotion. You have kept your promise to your servant David, my father. You made that promise with your own mouth and with your own hands. You have fulfilled it today. And now, O Lord, God of Israel, carry out the additional promise you made to your servant David, my father. For you said to him, if your descendants guard their behavior... And faithfully follow me as you have done. One of them will always sit on the throne of Israel. Oh, can someone say Jesus? (laughs) Oh, now, O God of Israel, fulfill this promise to your servant David, my father. But will God really live on earth? Why even the highest heavens cannot contain you? How much less this temple I have built? Nevertheless, Listen to my prayer and my plea, O Lord my God. Hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is making to you today. 
May you watch over this temple night and day, this place where you have said, my name will be there. May you always hear the prayers I make towards this place. May you hear the humble and earnest request from me and your people Israel when we pray toward this place. Yes, hear us from heaven where you live. And when you hear, forgive. If someone wrongs another person and is required to take an oath of innocence in front of your altar in this temple, then hear from heaven and judge between your servants, the accuser and the accused. Punish the guilty as they deserve. Acquit the innocent because of their innocence. If your people Israel are defeated by their enemies because they have sinned against you, and if they turn to you and acknowledge your name and pray to you here in this temple, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and return them to the land you gave their ancestors. If the skies are shut up and there is no rain because your people have sinned against you, and if they pray toward this temple and acknowledge your name and turn from their sins because you have punished them, then hear from heaven and forgive the sins of your servants, your people Israel. Teach them to follow the right path and send rain on your land that you have given to your people as their special possession. If there is a famine in the land or a plague or crop disease or a or attacks of locusts or caterpillars or your people's enemies are in the land besieging their towns, whatever disaster or disease there is, and if your people Israel pray about their troubles, then hear from heaven where you live and forgive. Give your people what their ants' actions deserve, for you alone know each human heart. Then they will fear you as long as they live in the land you gave to our ancestors. In the future, foreigners who do not belong to your people, oh, come on, people of Israel, will hear of you. They will come from distant lands because of your name. For they will hear of your great name and your strong hand and your powerful arm. And when they pray toward this temple, they hear from heaven where you live and grant what they ask of you. In this way, all the people of the earth, listen to that, all the people of the earth will come and note and fear you just as your own people Israel do. They too will know that this temple I have built honors your name. If your people go out where you send them and to fight their enemies, and if they pray to the Lord by turning toward the city you have chosen and towards the temple I have built to honor your name, then hear their prayers from heaven and uphold their calls. If they sin against you, and who has never sinned? You might become angry with them and let their enemies conquer them and take them captive to the land far away or near. But in the land of exile, they might turn to you in repentance and pray. We have sinned, done evil, and acted uh, wickedly. If they turn to you with their whole heart and soul in the land of their enemies and pray toward the land you gave to their ancestors towards the city you have chosen and towards this temple I have built to honor your name, then hear their prayers and their petition from heaven where you live and uphold their, uphold their calls. Forgive your people who have sinned against you. Forgive all the offenses they have committed against you. Make their captives merciful to them, for, for they are your people, your special possession, whom you bought out of the iron smelting furnace of Egypt. May your eyes be open to my request, 
and to the request of your people Israel. May you hear and answer them whenever they cry out to you, for whom you brought our ancestors out of Egypt. O sovereign Lord, you told your servant Moses that you had set Israel apart for all the nations of the earth to be your own special possession. I know that's a lot. But oh dear God, did you hear the theme through it? Repentance. Forgiveness. We're not looking at a physical temple in our day and age. Because we, as children of God, each one of you is the temple. The Holy Spirit dwells within you. Or we're not looking at a physical place. No, we're fixing our eyes upon Jesus. The author and the finisher of our faith. He's fulfilled all that God purposed. The Old Testament, as you're studying it, see Jesus all through it. It's pointing to Jesus. Everything from beginning to the end of the Old Testament is pointing you to the new. And just as God forgave then, He forgives now. And don't miss out on the fact that this is King Solomon praying. He doesn't have a genuine affection towards God. And we're going to see, we've already saw how the doors have opened where he has committed, he's committing sin. We're going to end up seeing what happens to his reign and how from his reign become, it divides Israel and a civil war breaks out. But listen, the good news is, is that yet though, Solomon may not be wholeheartedly committed, God is committed. And God used this king to speak forth this prayer that the whole Israel, all of Israel that was gathered that day heard. And what did they hear? God will forgive you if you would turn and seek Him. If you would repent. And He lists all these different ways. <laughs> Nothing was left out. And as it was with them, so it is with us. Repent, you all. Don't remain enslaved to sin. <laughs> know your God. Know His great love for you and the freedom that He has. The next portion of Scripture of this chapter 8 is Him dedicating the temple. If you get the opportunity, go read that. But I wanted you to hear the prayer today. Go to Acts chapter 7. We're finishing, and we're going to go to Acts chapter 7, 51 through 8, 13. We're going to conclude our understanding of, of this portion of Scripture of Stephen. Remember, Stephen, I called him, and it's not, I'm not insulting him because it was my beginning. But Stephen was just a food service worker. That's all he was. 
Remember the apostles, they became this rift in the church. Oh, you know, they're being taken care of better than we are. It was all this weirdness going on. And the apostles are like, okay, wait a minute. We don't have time for this. We, we have to be about what we're called to do. So as they were led by the Holy Spirit, they selected these men of, of character, of godly character. And Stephen was one of them. The church was just birthed. Stephen is now filled with the the Spirit of God. He's just going about his duties. He's sharing about Jesus. And now they've dragged him in. And the religious leaders have brought in these witnesses that have lied about him. And so basically this council, these religious men, the religious elite of the day... opens the floor for Stephen to speak. And led by the Holy Spirit, Stephen then begins to lay out the case. As I said last week, oh, you think Stephen is on trial? Oh, Stephen isn't on trial. The religious leaders are. And those that are listening to Stephen. Because Stephen begins, as we've read, to lay out this case. From the beginning of our people, We have rejected the deliverers that God has sent. And he's laying out a case all the way up to Christ. The ultimate deliverer. Oh, so let's listen to this. Acts 7, verse 51. Stephen says, You stubborn people, you are heaping at heart. Listen, he's talking to the religious of the day, the powerful, the elite. And death to truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what you, that's what your ancestors did. And so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah whom you betrayed and murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's law, even though you received it from the hands of angels. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusations, and they shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven. Oh, y'all better learn to look up. (laughs) And saw the glory of God, and he saw Jesus standing in a place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, Look, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't Charge them with this 
sin. And with that, he died. The first martyr of the church. And what was the charge against him? Jesus. He spoke of this Jesus. And as it was with today, with our brothers and sisters who are being persecuted, as it is within our own country, it may not be at the level of what it is or what we just read, but stand for Jesus, for truth. And not only with the wicked attack, but the religious will attack. You see, they're in rebellion towards God. But Stephen loved Jesus. Stephen was born again, full of the Spirit of God. He didn't back down. He didn't give up. He didn't cower down. No, he stood there and allowed the Holy Spirit to use him to speak. And again, don't miss out on this. Yet again, these Pharisees were given yet another opportunity to repent. (laughs) Think about that. Yet again, they're hearing. And yet again, they should have felt the conviction of, oh, look what we've done. Oh, but no. How dare he speak to us like this? And they killed him. They killed him. Oh, but Stephen's life, do you see how it ends? Jesus is seated. The Bible says Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Stephen looked up and saw Jesus standing. Stephen said, don't miss this. Don't hold this sin against them. Some of us are holding unforgiveness. We're demanding the right to hold it. And listen, it's killing you. Trust me. And you can say, well, you don't know. Well, I can give you my sad story. I told you we all have a sad story. (laughs) But stop telling your sad story. Tell his story. I can hold all the, the anger and the hurt from those who abused me. I can, I, can hurt, I can hold all the anger and the hurt of those who betrayed me. I can go back and think of my past and you know all that stuff. And I could be a victim. <laughs> but why when I know the victor? The most beautiful prayer to pray is to release those who have hurt you, and say, God, forgive them. They know not what they've done. It doesn't excuse what they did to you all. It's not letting them go. You're not doing it for them, you're doing it for you. Because the issue is your heart. A lot of our past wounds and hurts are because of what's lingering over here. But that's not where we belong. We belong here, present. In Christ, looking up, Longing for the day of his redemption. And I refuse to allow my past and my pain and the abuse I had to endure to be what defines me any longer. Not since I've met Jesus. I could be free. I could be free. I want it all, Lord. And don't miss out that Saul who later becomes Paul 
is there watching the whole scene on play. And yet he watched Stephen die. And don't, don't, don't make, miss out that it was a brutal death. It was a, he was stoned. It was brutal. And later we see how Jesus reveals himself to Saul and calls Paul to, to go forth and to share the gospel. So then we move on. We're just going to read through 13. Saul was one, okay, no. Verse, yeah, Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions, region of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Did you hear that? They were under great persecution. They weren't hiding. What were they doing? Preaching. Wherever they went, they were on the run. But on the run, they're telling others about Jesus. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims. And many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. A man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years, amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. Everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one, the power of God. They listened closely to him because for a long time he astounded them with his magic. But now the people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many, of, many men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself believed and was baptized. He began following Philip wherever he went, and he was amazed by the signs and great miracles Philip performed. You see, it doesn't make sense in the natural for the church to grow during persecution. But that's when it does. It's when the church grows and grows fervently and they get rooted because Christ is all they have. As I shared with you before, the testimonies of our brothers and sisters overseas, those who've been here around long enough, you could probably quote it. But as I share this, go to Psalm 129. We're wrapping up in Psalm and then one proverb. But I just want to remind you, lest we keep forgetting that we have Brothers and sisters that are enduring the greatest persecution of all time. The level of persecution that's taking place among Christians is the highest level. And it will continue to rise. And our brothers and sisters overseas, listen, when they bow their knee to Jesus, it's not a flippant, okay, I'll, I'll accept Jesus. Oh no, they consider the cost. Jesus tells us, consider the cost before you come and follow me because it's going to cost you everything. They know. 
They, their eyes have been opened and they say, okay, God. They repent, they receive, and they know everything. All their temporalness of life has just ultimately changed in an instant. And they're okay. There's families today that got up on the overseas. Father, the mother, the children, or maybe it's just the husband and wife, or maybe it's just an individual believer. But they basically say the same thing. And they encourage each other. You should read these testimonies. Don't deny them. No matter what they do. To me, to you, don't deny them. We may not gather back and home this evening. But don't deny him. Live for him. And they go out their door and they know. They know in an instant. Their livelihood could be taken from them. Their lives could be taken from them. Their children could be dismembered in front of them. Their wives could be brutally raped in front of them. If you would just deny Jesus, we will stop this. No. No. And I go, God, help us over here in the West. Most people can't even show up for church. Most people just come and go as they please and do whatever. They don't understand the cost. We need to understand the cost. Because again, everything that's out there is at war with the one in whom you say you believe. They're at war with his throne. They hate him, they're going to hate you. But be of good cheer. He's already overcame the world. I don't make light of what they go through. I read their testimonies. I hear their note. I read their notes. And a lot of times they're not asking. They're not saying, pray for, pray for it to stop. No. You know what their prayer is? That God will give them the strength to endure. I go, wow. God, that's beautiful. God, that's beautiful. That's why I can't just be playing in church, you all. Like, do you believe? Have you truly repented? Have you truly accepted this free gift of salvation? Have you been baptized? Are you being discipled? I mean, it's so vital to a believer's life to live for Christ in a hostile world. And again, we're not out on the attack. I'm not fighting. You don't have to fight with people out there. Just live. And like I've, like I've shared with you before, when, when these people, if they're ever drawn into to a courtroom, you will never hear, at least from the accounts that I've read, you will never hear, these people are unproductive citizens. You will never hear anything about their character. Only thing that you would hear is, they're telling people about Jesus. That's the charge. And that's why I keep telling you, as Christians, you ought to be the best workers. You ought not to be lazy. You ought not to be grumbling and complaining. You ought not to be caught up in the office gossip. Show up, do your work. Be a good steward of all that you've been entrusted with. Get out there, live in the community. Be productive within the community. Make a difference within the community. That the only charge that they have against you is Jesus. Jesus. 
Can't say anything else about them. But they just keep talking about Jesus. They keep upholding his standard. Stop it. It's irritating us. It's okay. They're not your enemies. We're not at war with flesh and blood. The Bible tells us we're at war with rulers and principalities in the air and the darkness. So let's trust in him, you all. Let's believe in him. Let's live for him. Psalm 129. From my earliest youth, my enemies have persecuted me. Let all of Israel repeat this. From my earliest youth, my enemies have persecuted me, but they have never defeated me. My back is covered with cuts as if a farmer had plowed long furrows. But the Lord is good. He has cut me from, he has cut me free from the ropes of the ungodly. May all who hate Jerusalem be turned back in shameful defeat. May they be as useless as grass on a rooftop, turning yellow when, when only half grown, ignored by the harvester, despised by the binder. And may those who pass by refuse to give them this blessing. The Lord bless you. We bless you in the name, I mean, in the Lord's name. Again, I love the book of Psalms. I love these psalmists, how transparent they are, how real they are with what they've endured, and not only them, but the nation. From the beginning, we have been pursued. From the beginning. But God, you all. But God. God is our Redeemer. God is our only hope. Oh, that heaven would come to earth and, and, and strengthen us and give us the endurance that's needed to finish this race that is set before us. And it's only through Him. Proverbs. We're ending. I'm throwing one nugget at you and then I'm closing us with song and prayer. Proverbs 17, verse 1. Better a dry crust eaten in peace. I love this proverb, you all. I don't know if you're going to love it as much as me. But there's nothing about eating a meal in peace. (laughs) Even if it's just a piece of bread. Better a dry crust eaten in peace than a house filled with feasting and conflict. Better a dry crust eaten in peace than a household feasting that is filled with conflict. Oh, child of God, be at peace. I'm going to close this with this last song, and then I'll close this in prayer.